Uh, In Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. Christ the King, the, the good news tonight is that Christ has set us free. Can we just take like a deep breath? A, to just make sure that we're breathing. <laughs> uh, and just as a way to just let that start to settle into our hearts. Christ has set us free. Christ is dismantling. Not the sneaky cry. <sighs> what? <laughs> Christ is dismantling all oppressive strongholds and structures and systems in our lives in order to free us for communion. Christ is dismantling all oppressive strongholds and systems in our lives and in our world in order to set us free for communion. In a world that lives in bondage to consumption, we are empowered by the Spirit today to use our freedom for living in communion with God and one another. In a world in bondage to consumption, we are empowered, Christ the King, today to use our freedom for living in communion with God and with one another. Have any of you guys seen uh, Pinocchio? Like the movie Pinocchio? It's been a really long time since I've seen it. Um, and I don't think Disney movies are like this anymore, but back in the day, some Disney movies were like pretty dark and weird. Um, they had many adult themes, as they call them. Uh, and um, Pinocchio was one of those movies with uh, adult themes. Um, but one of the things that uh, Pinocchio, the movie Pinocchio, explores, as, as you guys know, even if you haven't seen the movie, is that the whole idea is that Pinocchio is not a real boy, a real person, so he sets out on this journey to become a real person. He wants to, to become a real boy, a real person. And on his journey into becoming a real person to becoming a real boy, he, do you guys remember this? He gets lured uh, into um, going to Pleasure Island. Um, these two swindlers, this guy Honest John and his uh, companion who's a cat, for some reason, <laughs> um, whose name I don't remember, um, they lure him they, they, uh, to get him they pretend like he's sick and that the only way that he can cure himself, the only way that he can cure himself of being 
not fully human is to come to Pleasure Island under the premise that on Pleasure Island you can do whatever you want. Every day is a holiday on Pleasure Island. And the whole idea is that if you can get into this zone where every day is a holiday, where you are free to do whatever you want and to act on whatever desires and impulses that you have, that then that will bring some healing to you. You can become um, real in that way. But, and this is where things get super weird and dark in the movie, is that in choosing self-indulgence on Pleasure Island, he and the other boys on Pleasure Island are transformed. You remember what they're transformed into? Donkeys. Donkeys. They actually say jackasses over and over again. (laughs) Um, They're transformed into jackasses, into donkeys. It destroys by, by living out this, uh, this story that self-indulgence, by living according to your appetite, that every day is a holiday, that you can do whatever you want. It actually, participating in that kind of activity, unhindered, actually turns them into donkeys. It makes them less human. They become enslaved to their uh, disoriented desire. They have all these impulses and desires, and they're pointed in the direction of self-indulgence. And they become slaves to that. They become a bunch of donkeys. And what's, what's interesting about this um, story is that there's another subplot that's running alongside of that, because it's not just that these boys become enslaved to their own disoriented desires, is that there's this other system, there's this guy who they call the coachman, And the coachman is like this uh, greedy mobster kind of guy. And what he does is he's using um, this disoriented desire of these boys um, to further enslave them. And so he's created this system in which people who are um, uh, being uh, turned um, in on themselves by their disoriented desire, he's directing them into slavery. And when they become donkeys... Uh, this is a really like weird and dark part of the movie. They get shoved into these crates and sold off into like different forms of work that donkeys do. And he's making a profit off of them. Everybody needs like saved in this scene, right? It's like these boys need liberation. The coachman needs liberation. Like they, they, there's liberation. There's freedom needed from disoriented desire, but there's freedom needed from this system that capitalizes on people's disoriented desires and enslaves them further. It's, it's the, the disoriented desire of these boys is bad, but it's not good for the coachman either. It's not just that they are becoming less human. The whole point is that the honest John and his weird cat friend and also this coachman mobster, that, that they are becoming less human in their dehumanization of these people. Like Everybody needs liberation in this scene. So uh, it's going to be the 4th of July, right? And uh, we live in a society um, that is built on a certain kind of story about freedom. Right? Uh, so I'm, I'm just curious. There are a few of us here tonight. I want, I'm going to get some feedback here. Like, when you guys think about um, the story of, of freedom that our society runs on. Like, what, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Mattresses. Mattresses. Yes. Buy, buy, buy. It's 4th of July! 20% off! 
two for one, mattresses. You, you can have, your wishes can come true. You can have two new mattresses for the price of one. What else? Like, what else comes to mind as you think about this story of freedom that our society is built on? Say that again. Horatio Alger. The American Dream. I w- I'm, not sh- I'm not sure who that is, but... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but the American Dream. Yeah, this is, there's this American Dream. This, uh, this you too can um, become a self-realized person and have... Uh, and realize your dreams for yourself. Uh, as, as a rugged individual, um, you can have the life that you want. Is that getting in the direction? Okay. You know everything you need to know about Horatio Alger right there. Right there, okay. Uh, over and over and over in countless books. <laughs> what else comes to mind as you guys think about freedom? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's freedom born of uh, rebellion. Um, it's freedom to get out, uh, you know, from under the hand of what some may call oppression. Uh, it's also freedom at the sake of others. Yeah. Yeah, both for those who desired that freedom and for those uh, who continued to not be free. Freedom for me to do what I want to do. Yeah. Freedom from the threat that someone else will interfere with the life that I need to have. I'm sure we could, we could keep this going for a while. Um, what, what are some things that you guys notice, and this doesn't have to be, you don't have to be telling your own story, but what are some things that you guys notice that people um, today are longing for freedom from? Like are longing for liberation from because that's my assumption is that like although we live in a society that's built on this idea of freedom and that in a lot of ways we are uh, if we have certain um, uh, position and privilege we're able to do what we want in some ways that even though we have that kind of invitation to self-expression and freedom that we still live in bondage to things so what do you what, what do you guys notice that people are longing to be freed from Yeah. 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 The expectations of others. The expectations of others, yeah. Insecurities. Yes. Yeah. The notion that there are rules. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Well, it seems like there's a generational push against all. Moral rules, or, yeah. or uh, 
yeah, freedom from whatever holds me back from self-expression. needing more uh, stuff but also needing more like power and authority yeah both of those things Christ the king in a world where freedom often means uh, freedom for consumption uh, freedom from the threat that others bring to my life. Christ frees us. Christ uh, dismantles all oppressive strongholds and systems in our life that keep us from being able to commune with God and with others. And today, Christ the King, today the Spirit empowers us to use our freedom, not for self-indulgence, but for communion with God and with others. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not submit to the yoke of slavery. One of the things that Paul is uh, saying to the Galatians here is he's been making this extended argument in this letter uh, to this community um, that um, once, once we've been included in Christ, we can't go back. We can't go back to living in bondage, to living in the way of life that we used to, to, to live in. Um, in a way, Paul is saying that we can't move on from the cross. That the cross wasn't just an entrance ticket, wasn't just a way to get saved, as it were, but actually um, is the way of life abundant. We don't ever move on from the cross. We don't uh, submit ourselves again to, uh, to bondage, to the way of life that we used to live in. That we don't move on from the cross. Uh, Paul, uh, earlier in Galatians, says that um, to the Galatians that they've been crucified with Christ. Their selves, uh, they've been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer they who live, but Christ who lives through them. And the implication of this, Paul is saying, is that if they've been crucified with Christ, that they've been liberated. That they've been liberated from powers that dehumanize and separate them from abundant life with God and others. And this bondage that, uh, that, that dehumanizes and separates us is, is bondage both to like um, those disordered desires, but also to the disordered systems too. It's bond, in bondage to both. And so for Paul to be free is to be in Christ. Uh, because for Paul, we're, we're not, like, the crucifixion isn't just something that happened that we benefit from. We're actually crucified with Christ, right? Um, one, of, one of my um, favorite quotes from um, Dallas Willard, a, a guy who writes on spiritual formation, um, is that he says that uh, Christ didn't go to the cross so that we wouldn't have to. Uh, Christ went to the cross so that we could go there with him. We've been crucified with Christ. Uh, therefore, we are no longer living in bondage to 
the systems that kept us uh, separated from life abundant. And we are now in Christ. Like, ourselves are now found in Christ. And Christ is redeemed humanity. Christ is abundant life. And what redeemed humanity looks like is humanity that's liberated from bondage to, to, to things, to stories, to ideas that dehumanize. And bondage to these things that we uh, give ourselves over to. Like whether they are things that seem like really bad, like drugs or uh, on, on Pinocchio. <laughs> they like, when uh, Pinocchio goes to Pleasure Island, he's like, if you remember, he's like chug- chugging beer and smoking cigarettes. And, and smashing glass. They like have this house that you can destroy. Um, so whether it's like things that are like, oh, that could be a bad thing. Or whether it's like things that, that like seem like normal benign things or, or just like everyday things. We give ourselves over to things in hope that they can give us what we ultimately long for in our deep. The kind of connection and relationship and fulfillment and, and the life abundant that everyone longs for in their deep. They, we, we have a tendency to attach ourselves, to give ourselves over to these things as if those things can give us what we ultimately long for. And what we find out is whether those things are beer and cigarettes or a successful career or uh, or even a, a, a happy family or whatever, is that they make poor masters. And they dehumanize and enslave us and put us into systems that like dehumanize and enslave other people too. Giving ourselves over to these things as if they can give us abundant life actually distances us from the life of the world and from others. So Paul is saying to this community, we can't go back. We can't go back to these things. But so don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Is that Paul is saying that to be crucified with Christ is to be liberated for new life. The purpose of the cross is so that we could be liberated to new life. Because part of the issue that, uh, it, if you had any similar upbringing, I grew up in the church for the most part. If you had any similar upbringing to what I did, is that if you spend enough time in church, when you think about the cross and, and what it means to be like crucified with Christ, um, the message that we get is a life that pri- is a primarily no. Right? Uh, uh, we've learned a lot about the no, but not the yes. But what Paul is saying is that this being crucified with Christ gives way to a life of yes. Not just to the no, but to yes. To freedom. And not only um, have we learned the no, the no that we often learn is not, just, is not no to disordered desires, not no to placing our, uh, our hopes and our dreams and our desires into things that ultimately can't bring, give that back to us, but just no to like all desires together. Or all bad things. And so a lot of us learn to just like to shout down or to shout out all the bad things in our life. As if this is what it looks like for us to be crucified with Christ. But Paul is casting vision not just for a life of no, but for a life of freedom, for yes. And so um, many of us and, and, and people um, in uh, 
a society like ours that has enough Christian stuff in it, um, have reacted against this and have gone to the other side of the ditch where freedom has, has meant this kind of life untethered from Christ's body. Like a freedom with, with no sense of what it looks like uh, to, um, to obey. Freedom without rules. Freedom to just self-express. So it would be the idea that, like, yes, Jesus is great, but, um, but my main reference point for what my life should look like is just something else. Whether that's the American dream or whether it's something else. And so what Paul is, is saying that Jesus is inviting to us into is not a freedom that's just uh, like a crazy go-nuts, whatever, whatever we want kind of freedom. Not a freedom to, to self-indulge, but a freedom ordered by self-giving love. A freedom ordered by uh, cross-shaped love. Paul says, not for self-indulgence, but for being a servant. The point is that if we're in Christ, our freedom cannot be for anything other than cross-shaped love because that is Christ's life. If we're in Christ, then Christ is, is exhibiting, was and is exhibiting cross-shaped love, self-giving love. Jesus' life was cross-shaped and how it wasn't this abstract kind of love. It was, it was active, it was concrete, it was material. Jesus entered into sinful existence Jesus was not self-seeking, and Jesus empathetically shared in our lives as a servant to the point of death so that others could be liberated from bondage to sin and death and share in his life. And so what Paul is saying is that this is actually the heart of true life. This is what we've been freed for, not self-indulgence, but for um, being servants to one another, for cross-shaped love. And so hear what Paul is saying here, and, or maybe I should say, hear what, don't hear what Paul is not saying when he's saying be slaves to one another. Because this text has often uh, been used in the past as a way to keep other people in bondage. Right? It's been, a, it's been used in a way as if uh, what Paul is talking about here is not like freedom in the actual world, but just, but just uh, like internal spiritualized freedom. And so uh, this, texts like this have been used um, by masters over slaves to say, like, yes, you can, have, you can have internal freedom or whatever, but here now, like, you've got a role to play. But that's not at all. That can't be what Paul is describing because the kind of, of love, the kind of, of one to another the kind of life that we uh, have entered into if we're in Jesus is the kind of life that's self-giving. That's, that's, that's necessarily bent toward the, the liberation of the things that, that dehumanize us and dehumanize others. It's a different kind uh, of life, a different kind of power. And Paul um, says that this kind of freedom also looks like living by the Spirit. Because any of you know that just because Paul says that we're free doesn't mean that you feel free, right? Just because Paul says that we're free in Christ doesn't mean that we're automatically liberated from the things that we feel uh, like we are held in bondage to, right? It's not automatic. It's the kind of thing that the Spirit um, is making visible in our lives, like on a, on a routine, on an ordinary basis, 
So this is why Paul is saying that, that living in this freedom looks like uh, living in or walking in the Spirit. Because this freedom that, that Christ has accomplished for us is made present, is made real, is made visible in our lives. In connection with the Spirit, by inviting the Spirit to make it visible in our lives. Um, one thing that, that's maybe helpful to clarify at this point is that Paul talks about, he's saying that the desires of the flesh... Uh, these are opposed to the spirit. Paul is not trying to create a dichotomy between the spiritual and the material here. Like as if to say that um, like the only things that are important are like the abstract spiritual stuff, but anything associated uh, with material life is bad. Uh, anytime that Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about um, the, the created world that's been turned sideways by the powers of sin and death. And so God has created us as, as material, desiring, loving, embodied beings. And he's created it as good. And the problem isn't that we are material, embodied, fleshy beings who desire things, who desire um, connection, and, and uh, who desire love, and uh, who desire touch, and who desire all sorts of things. That's not the problem. The problem and that Paul is getting at is when those things are turned sideways and turned in on itself and, and are turned away from the giver of life and unto other things. That's what Paul's getting at. Not a dichotomy between like spiritual stuff and material stuff, but, but a dichotomy between two different ways of life. A life in which our bodies are oriented toward consumption or our, in Christ, our lives, our embodied selves are oriented toward communion. Two different ways of life. The spiritual way of life is not the life that's not like connected to our bodies, but the life given over to communion with God and with other people. And so what this looks like is a constant, um, an ongoing invitation for the Spirit to come in and reorder our desires toward communion with God and others and to make real Jesus' self-giving love in our life. Right? So this is, this is like that, that ongoing, not automatic part of it. Living by the Spirit doesn't look like just shouting down all the things that we feel like shouldn't be in our life. But it looks like an openness to the Spirit saying, Holy Spirit, come. Make real Jesus' love in my life and our life today. Orient us toward communion uh, with you and with one another. One of the things that you'll notice about this passage um, is that uh, the, this, this freedom for communion, this living in the Spirit, um, is thoroughly and inherently relational and social. It's not just inner and personal transformation. It's, it's thoroughly relational and social. And so that's important because when I think about, uh, and, and when we begin to think about this later part of the passage um, where Paul starts to describe the fruits of the Spirit, we kind of get this idea that like, okay, so Paul has just listed some bad things, and I need to try harder not to do those bad things, and I need to try harder to do these good things for my life to be characterized by these good things. And, and usually um, that goes really well for us until someone comes along and uh, gets in the way of us trying to be virtuous people. <laughs> Have you guys ever experienced that? It's like, okay, I'm having a great day. I'm, I'm doing really good at being virtuous, more patient and kind and forbearing, all that kind of stuff. And then someone comes along and disrupts my attempts to be virtuous, right? 
But what Paul is inviting us into here is not um, trying harder not to do bad stuff, but, but trying harder uh, uh, to do good stuff, but actually into a way of life where we're confronted with those times when we invite the Spirit to draw us into communion. The whole point is that we would get in each other's way so that the, the parts of us that are unguarded, the parts of us that come out when we're like not thinking about what it means to be virtuous, the parts of us that are triggered when difficult people come into our life, like those are the parts of it that the Spirit gets access to where we are drawn deeper into a life of communion and out of a life of consumption. Is this making sense here, what the kind of uh, picture that Paul is inviting us into? Not just we're going to try harder to be virtuous people, but there's actually a different way of life that Jesus has freed us for. A life of communion with him and with others. I'm just going to tell a quick story um, of what this looks like. Um, it was a, a story that I heard um, through some friends who have a, have a podcast. It was a story about a guy uh, who, this guy named Kirsch, uh, who is a cop in, in Indianapolis or the Indianapolis area. Uh, this guy, Kirsch, um, uh, went to college. Uh, he actually grew up in a, in a home. Uh, he was, uh, both his dad and his granddad were police officers, but he went and got a, a broadcast degree and had gotten a dream job at NBC uh, and was working in his dream job at NBC. And then um, uh, back in, I guess this was five, four or five years ago, uh, uh, it, was, it was the night when uh, all the Michael Brown stuff exploded. Uh, in Ferguson, Missouri, and he was sitting um, in his apartment uh, watching all this stuff unfold, all this, this violence and rage and conflict and all this stuff um, bubbling over uh, because of Michael Brown. And he was asking himself, why are these people so angry at police officers? Like, he couldn't wrap his head around it. Like, for him, like, growing up in a, in a home, like, he looked up to his dad and granddad, and they were, like, the best people. They were the, the icon of goodness, in, in his life and in society. And so he couldn't wrap his head around why people would be so angry at the police officers. Aren't they the good guys? And so he started uh, digging in and like doing a little research and realized that, like, yeah, there are some good police officers, but there are some bad situations too. And there's a whole group of people who, who share a personal and corporate wound over uh, mistreatment. And so what he did at this point, what he did at this point is rather than just like signal all the right virtues and like start, start like, uh, you know, just like saying all the right things on social media or bad-mouthing cops or something like that or trying to scapegoat the people uh, who were at fault. Instead of doing all that, he decided that he was going to quit his dream job at NBC and go and become a police officer. And so what he did is he is rather than scapegoating and virtue signaling, he identified with those in the broken system by joining them. And he went in with, with this interesting posture. He went in, in, in assuming that when he was interacting with people who, um, who uh, were, were, had these wounds, that even though he wasn't the one who wounded them, even though he wasn't the one responsible for it, that he looked like the people who were responsible for it. And that either these people or their parents or grandparents, some of them were actually carrying the marks on their bodies of the people who had wounded them. And so he went in realizing that although he wasn't the one who did that, that he was going to uh, identify with that brokenness and bear responsibility for it. He was going to own it 
and do something about it. And so he was going to join how Jesus was dismantling all the oppressive systems at work in that space to free people for communion. He knew that Jesus had freed him from bondage to this political antagonism that pits people against each other. And rather than using his freedom for for self-indulgent escape in the manner of Christ's self-giving love, he becomes a servant to others by entering the mess. And so when he would get into these messy situations, he had this habit, or has this habit of saying, I don't know what it's like to be a young black man in America. Can you help me understand? This is the way that he was using his freedom to commune with God and others. And so there's a story that he tells when uh, he was in a situation in which they had uh, made a traffic stop on a person who was wanted with like, these felonies, and it was a person who um, was known to have a weapon in the car, and they couldn't see the person's hands. And, and he says that it was one of these stories where, um, according to the law, he would have been justified to use deadly force. Like, it wouldn't have made the news. It would have just been like an open and shut case. He was justified to use deadly force. But in that moment, um, in, 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 instead of, of using that kind of power, he said that uh, standing there at the car, um, and he had people, he had other cops around him whose guns were drawn. He said he, he holstered his gun, and he called the man by name. And he said, will you come to me? And the man said, yes, I'll put, I'll put down my weapon and I'll come to you, but only you can handcuff me. So the question, Christ the King, is today, can we be the kinds of people who give witness to this kind of freedom? To give witness to the kind of, of freedom that the Spirit empowers us for, freedom for communion with God and others, that's character by, characterized by a completely different kind of power, a completely different kind of logic. Can we be that kind of people, Christ the King? So the question is, where is the Spirit inviting you to live in communion with God and others? Where do you need this today? Christ is dismantling all of the powers Christ is dismantling all of the oppressive strongholds and system, systems and freeing us for communion with God and others. And the Spirit is empowering us today, Christ, to, Christ the King, to use that freedom to commune with God and with others. Where is God inviting you to respond today? So like we normally do, I invite you uh, to respond in prayer.